Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Disagree With Me or Don't. I'm your host, M.R. Wilson, and on this episode of the DWMOD podcast, we'll be visiting with Dunbar Dix. Dunbar is a television producer who's nailing it in the true crime documentary genre, which is probably the hottest growing genre on television right now. He's worked on some shows I'm sure you're familiar with, including The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway. We all remember when the American teenager went missing in Aruba. He also worked on the critically acclaimed Leah Remini Scientology and the Aftermath series that aired on A&E. If you haven't seen any of that, do yourself a favor. It's a binger for sure. His current project, which I'm hooked on, is a new show called Cults and Extreme Beliefs. It airs on A&E Mondays at 10 o'clock, and it's an awesome show. It's a really fascinating inside look at some of these organizations I'm sure you're familiar with and helps to add a human element to it. Definitely recommend checking it out. We'll talk about him growing up in Tennessee. We'll also talk about his start in comedy that came after his stint as a serious actor at the Steppenwolf Theater. We'll get into a little Tennessee sports, Tennessee Vol talk, a little Tennessee Titans, and then I'll let him get going on being a transplant and becoming an all-things Chicago fan. We'll get into Jordan versus LeBron and the NBA as a whole. We'll also talk about why Philip Fulmer hates Charles Woodson so much. Hey, and while I'm thinking about football right now, let's not forget everybody tweet out the show, do our over and under challenge. You can see how it's played out right on the Twitter handle. That's at DWMODpod. The rules on how to play are easily laid out at the beginning of episode number two with Anthony Finelli. Tweet us out your picks, and we're going to have some prizes for everybody guaranteed on that. So go to the Twitter page, give us a like, give us a retweet, get it out there, and enjoy this episode of DWMOD with Dunbar Dix. Hi, hey Dunbar, welcome to DWMOD. Hey, welcome. All right, man. Now, you and I, we first met out here in L.A. Yeah, we did. Uh, again, uh, like d- doing the Flying Chuck, Second yeah, City. The good old wrestling show. Uh, right, right, yeah. right. Now, I, I do remember the first time that we played together, and you came out and had some crazy big opinions in a bunch of scenes, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I, w- I would imagine you're known for that. I imagine. Like, mic drop, trying to mic drop? Because uh, I feel like when you come into an improv scene... And you make a bold choice or your character has a bold opinion. Yeah. Whether or not it carries weight or it doesn't, it's always wins comedically. Like, because if you're the rube who just kind of drops always something in. Yeah, American everybody. Joke. But yeah, I, I need to clarify that a bit. Um, people probably mistake that for like uh, big crazy choices. Like, we're selling diamonds on a boat or yeah. nothing like that. I mean, like. Um, controversial statements, like come right out in the middle of a scene and drop some shit that everybody was like, uh, what? But it's hilarious sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that you just have to, I mean, our last show, I made a questionable choice last week. Uh, I did as well. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, that show is pretty irreverent. It's about that, you know, making questionable choices. Yes, it is. You're playing with a bunch of wrestlers who's... yeah. Um, that audience is open for it. Yeah, their level of uh, they're looking for that. Yeah, they're they, looking for they, that. They want us to push boundaries. They're an edgy group. Yes, yes. And so I made a. I I said a word. I I felt like I could protect it within the scene. Yes, I remember. And I failed <laughs> miserably. And I don't. Not, I don't think as bad as I failed. Uh, but it was subconsciously. Do you remember before the show? Not before the show. During yeah. the opening monologue of that yeah. show. When John and Tanya were talking and they were talking about their in-laws and all that, but you and yeah. I were backstage fucking with each other and doing bits and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like right as the show was yeah. starting. Yeah. Apparently during that uh, exchange of them giving their, their dialogue to the audience, we were going to improvise, Bay, um, 
she said that her sister had passed away to an OD? No, I don't remember that. Okay, then fair enough, because oh, neither did no. I. And then we did that whole long scene where I kept saying, you know, my grandma died, and now my sister just died because she was diabetic and ate that cake. And and then I, the scene was kind of going awkwardly and getting random laughs, and I wondered why no one was editing. And then we got to the bar. Brett oh, and no. Andy were like, oh, yeah, so the sister dying bit. like, And then Andy was like, oh, yeah, I wasn't coming out there. I wasn't going to let oh, you guys die. No. <laughs> I had no idea until they told me at the bar, and I went, oh, holy shit, bro. It goes to show you got to listen. You got to listen, man. Even though that show is, is kind of, you know. Yeah. I think that show's great. I think you should come see Flying Chuck when it's, it's playing. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's super it's fun to do, and it's really silly, and it's just like a really, yeah. you know, we're all kind of. Punching each other in the dicks on stage. It's absolutely uh, a, a, a little bit of a. There's the guys that do the show are fantastic improvisers. There's always great scenes, yeah. and it's a fun crowd. But I think that there's something to be said for like taking a group of guys who can play with anybody, yes. and putting them in a situation where it's just, you know, all gloves are off. We can fuck with each other if we want to. We can do really raunchy stuff yeah. if we want yep. to. We can just yep. play around if we want yeah. to. We can do bad scenes if we want to. Yes, yes. You know, it's not going to be a grounded. You're not going to see two, you know, yeah. tour de force actor improvisers. Right, right, right. No, you're not going to see somebody but, trying to steal any limelight. You're not going to see any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, we're kind of trying yeah. to, you know, I don't know, goose each other a little everybody's bit. Try- it's, it's like being in a cast you've been in a long time with yeah. everybody because everybody's really trying to fuck with everybody during the scenes. Yeah, you know pretty I mean? much. Which is hilarious. But I do appreciate discomfort, I think, in my comedy. Yeah, yeah. And sort of uh, trying to embrace embarrassing myself. Uh, yes. Which I guess is kind of the way I handle embarrassing myself. Right. Now, just own like, it. Just yeah, own it. Ten years right. ago, I was, I'd was i like punch myself in the face, you know, right, emotionally right. off stage. Right. And now I've just kind of learned to embrace when I fail. Because I fail uh, a lot, you know. So I well, that's the name of the game. The time. That's the name of the game. You know? Now, you started failing originally where? Um, in comedy in Chicago. Okay. So I moved to Chicago from college, done a little improv. Okay. Where did you go to college? Catholic University in, in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C. Yeah. But you're originally from Tennessee, right? Went yeah, to high I grew school up. In yeah, I kind of moved around a little bit, but I, I lived in Tennessee till I was about 16. So okay. I grew up there. My dad taught at UT. So, oh, yeah. yeah. All right, big balls guy then, huh? Yeah. We'll come balls. back on that. Yeah, yeah, we will. Oh, yeah, it's rough. It's not great. We'll come back on that. Basketball's doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're really fun to watch, and uh, a lot of those guys are coming at it, but football-wise, it's, man. Yeah, they're in crazy coach search yeah. last year and stuff, man. Uh, yeah, we'll so, see. Man. Then you moved to Chicago, though, but now when you went to Chicago, you were a Second City guy or I.O. guy? Uh, I was an I.O. guy, but I had um, I'd come out to Chicago – to do the Steppenwolf school. Oh, so like right. the Steppenwolf theater there with like yeah, Gary yeah. Sinise. That's and, like serious uh, Gary, acting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, a funny story. I was what? like, yeah. So I was dating this girl <laughs> and she wanted to, I wanted to move to Chicago cause I want to do second city and, and improv. And, uh, she was, we were figuring it out. Uh, she's very sweet girl. Very nice. Yeah. Um, we basically both auditioned for this thing and I kind of, Felt like I'd signed up as a solidarity. The Steppenwolf you know, thing. The Steppenwolf. Okay. Yeah, right. I'd signed up for solidarity. She had reservations and 
And I kind of, you know, was like, no, you should do it as a sort of a, a encouragement. And I got right, in. Right. She didn't do it. She didn't get in. She didn't get in. Yeah. Okay. And it was really hard for her, you know, like the, that whole thing. But um, so I ended up doing the Steppenwolf School and Sheldon Patinkin, who's like a founding member of Second City, ended up being my improv teacher. Oh, they had an improv section. They had an improv. Yeah, well, okay. they had like improv, Second City style improv. And then they had like viewpoints, which is like abstract sort of, you know, you're a fish in the ocean. Oh, uh, man, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I hate that stuff. They crack that stuff out and I'm just sitting in the back of the classroom. Really? Like, oh, Interesting. I can't. I can't. They, I was recent. I was in, uh, in my writing lab class. No, not my writing lab. It was in my advanced class. In my advanced class over at Groundlings, they... We had an instructor that loved that stuff, and he would be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You are atoms in in the tear of a clown. And then these people get up there and start doing all this. What's yeah, that it like to be terrible. in the tear of a clown? I'm like this, what are we, what? I, I would say that stuff is really bad yeah. if it's not taught well. Well, you have to be if you a get- really good improviser to make that work. Like if you're going to go watch... Scott Atz at play with somebody and they're going to do that. It's probably going to sure, be sure. But the other thing too is that you, it's not a performance. So you have to remove Tina Landau was our teacher there and she's okay. a world renowned viewpoints instructor. And I really took to it. I really loved it, but you have to, you had to, you had to really accept it as part of a process as opposed to there being a final product. So you really have to remove that part of your brain that thinks about what's happening outside of the thing sure. that you're doing. Transformation you're, activity. Yeah. you did, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it wasn't just about transformation. There's like seven viewpoints, pattern recognition, topography. It's a, basically a shortcut language for dancers to improvise a dance. That's how it was really okay. created. All right. And then they kind of transformed it into acting actors, creating material for plays in kind of in the same way as second city creates a sketch show, you know, with okay. improvisation, you know, they're using improvisation as a tool to create. Every time I do this show, I learn more about things I didn't even know about. I'm like, this is a silly exercise. And I'm like, no, there's step seven steps. They I mean, topography. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, okay, I'm an idiot. I no, listen. you're not an idiot. It's just <laughs> no, it's yeah, not being probably out, not man. being treat, t- taught well. I think the other part of it, too, is like I love Spolin stuff. Like I love the old because I had Sheldon as a teacher. Sure, sure. I was really. And so that was something that in some sometimes felt like it was in conflict when I was when I went to IO. So I did like Steppenwolf school and then I had done like this viewpoints fucking thing. And I was in this group with 25 people right, and we all right. loved each other. We thought we were like the second coming of Steppenwolf, whatever that we're means. We're all going to make it together. Yeah, there's all of a thousand <laughs> people in the world that really yeah. care what that means. <laughs> you know, I mean, Steppenwolf is an amazing place. And then I kind of did a couple of projects with them and then I went to IO. Okay. And so like I, I was in IO 2001, I think I was okay. at IO. Uh, I started in February of 2001, got on a team okay. by September, October. All right. Okay. So, uh, no, before that, because I was on a team when 9-11 happened, which is a weird fact to say. Uh, and no, but everybody's got a timeline on that, man. Like, yeah. this was right around 9-11, right yeah. around 9-11. You know what I mean? Like, because it just sticks in your brain. Anything that happened in your life at that time, it just resonates with that date. Man. Well, I remember, like... You know, the I don't know if you know the Second City show, but Josh Funk directed the Detroit yeah. guy. Yeah, and, I know Josh, and Keegan yeah. was in that show and TJ and Pete Gross and uh, Jack McBrayer. A lot of amazing guys were in that show at Second City at the time. And they did that Yellow Cab of Courage show, okay. um, which 
was awesome. <laughs> like they just like they were in process at Second City while they were make while nine eleven happened, making that show. And yeah, then yeah. they just kind of you know, it's like one of those things where you're faced with a tragedy or adversity and they just processed it in the right way. Right, right. And that show was absolute magic. Which is tough to do, man. Yeah. You know, tough they, to do. And they have this scene in it where Jack comes out and it's a pottery class and they're in nine eleven happened and they're like, We have to we can't let the terrorists win. We have to make these pots. <laughs> Which is dead is dead on for that. Like that's phenomenal, you know. Yeah, I mean? it is. How are you going to tear that down on one side? You can't. Yeah, you, you can't, can't say it's insensitive. No, it's a funny play on the vulnerable space yeah. that that tragedy had. That's yeah, great. and I remember being in like we had an improv rehearsal a couple of days later, and uh, I remember like being in my group. It was like my first improv team, and uh, us just kind of having that conversation you right. know like oh, i don't know what to do but we're just gonna uh let's play some zip steps up and get yeah, up yeah. and like do improv you know yeah. so nobody it, wants to be the first one up there that just spits something out and you're like ah. yeah. i know i mean i remember like people would try and teeter on the getting back to like dropping bombs on a scene yeah try and teeter on the edge of of something and it would just completely yeah fail, no 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 know? no it's one of those things where it's like it's not even worth going there man because the tiny percentage of finding the nugget that's going to work right here like doing a, a nazi concentration camp scene or an abortion scene or something, like the 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 chance of success <laughs> on those things is like two yeah. percent for a genius to find the nugget that yeah. the audience will swallow and go okay you know but I, mean? I think chicago audiences at the time and and i think even probably still there's something about the Chicago audiences that are different, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I've done shows in New York, I've done shows in L.A., and, and I've done, I did some shows in Detroit. And um, the Chicago audience seems to be willing to accept more. You know, they'll go through more machinations. Sure, sure. I mean, I also think, like, to that space at I.O., in the early days, like in the early 2000s, that downstairs cabaret theater. I don't know sure, if you ever sure. got there. I, well, I didn't start improvising yeah. until like 2007, 2006 or seven. Yeah. So the first time I went to Chicago to see some stuff was probably around, I think probably when Tim and Sam went yeah. down there. It was probably the first time I went down Were there. Were they on the main stage stuff. at Actually, that point? My, my wife was living in Chicago and working. And I went down to visit her on my birthday, and we went and saw, um, oh, man, I, I don't mean to be an asshole, but what was the big show that was the, the Obama, no, the Obama-themed show at Second City. Between the Barack review. and a Hard Place? Yes, we saw that one. Don't ask me why I remember the names yeah. of these shows. Well, everybody yeah. does that yeah. was there, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, And it was great. Who was in that show? Brad, Brad Morris, right? Ithamar. Uh, Joe Canale. Yeah, I think so. Uh, ladies wise I can't remember who was in that show I can't really recall because uh, I don't really Shelly know Gossman, a lot of those guys as well as you I do I think you know? Emily Wilson yeah that was yeah. a great show it was a great show that was a great show phenomenal show and that was also like a show where you were just kind of like it like it got a lot of national attention just from the name alone right you right, know right. And, like he came and saw yeah. the show right? yeah he came yeah. and saw the show right. and that he was, was like great. run. that was like a cool time to be in Chicago it's like I worked on the Obama, regardless of where your politics are. You know, sure. your city is like cresting. Yeah, and yeah. Second City was at a at a peak. 
you know, and um, and, it's just, and uh, the comedy scene was burgeoning and, and really big and alive. And there was a lot of stuff happening. And then you had this politician who kind of came out of nowhere and became president yes. within a span of like right. five years. Right, right. And I remember I was there. I worked on the campaign. I got a pass to go to Grant Park. I was like 200 feet away from the stage. Really? Yeah, it was right That's there. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to say this. And my buddy Eddie Adez can attest to this. He better. In the speech, when he's saying, he's like 10 minutes in, and then all of a sudden the audience says, yes, we can. You know, they start chanting. Yes. I started that chant. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Well, Nobody start... cares. No. But... Uh, well, that's that's claim to fame right there. That's pretty, I, that's a huge history. Moment. I claim that for myself. I started that. Yes, we can chant. Put it down. Call Ediades. Find him on Facebook, on Twitter. No, you don't claim that you invented the phrase. You just started no. that chant. No, I started that <laughs> particular chant at that moment. Right. I don't know. I mean, that's awesome, though, man. No, that's cool. That's something cool to remember, dude. That's something cool to remember. Now, you, from Chicago, then moved out here to L.A. Yeah. How long ago? About five five years ago, I think. I okay, moved I here on January 1st. Like, I literally drove. I went to go Christmas with my family. Yeah. Drove here over, like, three or four days. My car broke down twice. What kind of car? Oh, I still got it. It's 2005 Toyota Corolla, man. All right, foreign car. Go ahead. Yeah. Hey, come on. (laughs) I'm not from Detroit. If I'm Detroit, I don't care for that. That thing's going to run forever. It's got 200,000 miles on it. It's not slowing down. You keep dumping money into anything. It'll keep running. (laughs) (laughs) My grandfather was a Ford mechanic. Oh, all right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, But uh, uh, I drove here. I came here. And so I had worked. For Second City, I I did the director's program there. I taught there for okay. a, a while and uh, did um, uh, was on the cruise ships. I did like four cruise ships. Okay, yeah, it seems to be a lot of people did those. Man. Yeah, it seems like so it launching awesome. point, it's like when you're ready to push the eject button, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, when you're like, okay, this is played out. Yeah, but you can or, put some money together doing that and yeah. get to see the world and get, it's like... Second being in the City military paid, without being shot at. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's beautiful. Second City paid for me to see the world. Yeah. Awesome. I, you can't. That's great. And we did some fun shows, and you can get something out of that process yeah. if you really want to. I think the tough thing is is being with, you know, five improvisers, and those are the only people you can truly socialize with. And and it depends if they're improvisers that you like and whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think so. I mean, there was a fair share of drama. I think that you kind of get to know different sides of a person may not be who that person really is, but under the constraints of, of literally being in each other's faces seven days. Yeah. Yeah. And getting drunk together and getting drunk together can, you know, you can really see somebody's true aces there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And people lose control a little bit because you're kind of unmoored pun intended by being on the ship. You really have no structure. Like you, you do the show, you do two shows, maybe four. I did the epic. I think we did nine. I can't remember. I got on the, I did the epic and we had our own space. It was kind of like sold to you like, oh, well, it's your own resident stage at sea, you know, but we never really, you know, we didn't really create our own material. No, but here, do these scenes. <laughs> but we did get to do adult material. We did get to do yeah. like grand, old Second City standards, like Grandma's Records and like that type of stuff. Okay. You know, you got to do a lot more yeah. improv Grandma's stuff. Records is probably one of my did favorite the, scenes ever. Did the murder mystery show. Oh, you got to love the murder is, mystery I show. Could kill. 
killed that show. I mean, it's always fun. Like you're doing those shows for those cruise ships audiences. Sometimes you're in an 800 seat theater. Sometimes you're not, but they're a very broad spectrum of people, you know? Yeah. And you're killing time between meals for them. So they're, you know, they're, you don't know where you're going to catch them. You don't know where you're full. Exactly. (laughs) But that's the challenge. And then, and obviously you're working with people that are at different levels and are coming at it differently mentally. But the challenge is like, okay, can I make these people laugh given the circumstances? How can I, how can I make it work? And can I get from lowbrow, you know, easy laughs, like low hanging fruit to maybe some more challenging things? You sure. know, can I get them on my side and then work my way in and then turn on them. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, on some levels that I get cerebral like that, but I think, I don't know, I have to, to stay engaged. I think that a lot of times that strategy failed dramatically at the yeah. detriment of the shows, you know? Sure. Sure. Uh, so I remember when I was on the Epic, I, there were a lot of really great short form comedians on that show. Like just, like world-class short form comedians, like people who could just do just incredible one-liner singers and stuff. And I just hung back. Right. I was like, okay, well these guys have it and they're, you know, I can either try and box them on stage and try and like carry my own weight and really come with some heavy hitters. That's just not how I play. Right. Right. Or I can kind of hang back, try and make some interesting moves, see if I could be connective tissue, see if I could be a straight yeah. man. To that. What can I add if I'm going to get in? Yeah, what can you. I add? How can I be like an emotional player, or maybe play in a different way that keeps the stakes going? You yeah, know? Yeah. How can I get on base and let that guy keep hitting home runs? Yeah, exactly. exactly like you, it. you have to change your role. You're like, you know, right. I'm not going to hit it out of the park. Right. Right. You know, with this crew. Cause these guys this is a murderer's row. Sure. Yeah. You know, so like, how do I facilitate this? And I hate the whole competitive, like, I'm going to get up there and zing them. You know, you had a good one. I'm going to get another good one. I yeah, hate that. Yeah, that never one. goes over well if you make the, if you make the, com- I had this argument with a bunch of people back in Detroit. It, it's not bad to be competitive in there. You need to be competitive in that format if you want to excel and be one of the best and get better at I it. I think so too. You have you to have kind to. of a killer You got to have that you competition. Gotta want it. Yeah. Right. But the difference is, you can't be personally competitive, you know, like during the show. Oh, that guy got a laugh. Now I got to get a laugh. That's yeah. the wrong kind of competitive. No. You know what I mean? Like that's the one that'll burn you. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. And I think it's like, that's what a miserable way to play. That's a miserable way to play. Yeah. It's a miserable way to play. The proper way to be competitive is somebody lights it up and then you go home and go, okay, what'd that guy do? Yeah. And, and not, break it down and yeah. then try to, you know, get better at what he did. Or she did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the fun things I love to try and do, especially when I'm playing with a team that's like been playing together for a while, is sometimes I like to play the show and try and play, try and just pick one of the players and be like, okay, what are they good at? I'm going to just play like them tonight. Right, right. See how I can play like like see how that comes out differently in me. Right, right. Like, okay, I'm this receptacle for these actions. Maybe if I try that on, it'll look different. I'll come up with something different. I'll be in a different, I'll do a different thing that I haven't done. Sure, sure. Because I think like I have a, I, especially early on, I definitely wasn't a bad improviser. I definitely did some things that were interesting, but I think that I was just have this destructive quality to everything I do. You know, I, it's, I'm neurotic. So I get very. How is that? Now, let me, <laughs> this is a good point to ask you. How is that serving you and what you're doing now? 
So I, I mean, I've been working in this sort of documentary thing since I moved to LA, and that's just like almost an accident. You know, I just found right. myself their doors open, and I just kind of walked through. Sure, well, that's a good door to be in, though. I mean, it's steady <laughs> work, and the show is like I I watched that episode last night on that Nexium. Awesome, thing. crazy. Yeah, what's the matter with people? Well, what's the matter with people? Like the people that do it. I get it. I get it on the early stages of you know you're looking for something and it appeals to you, and they always mm-hmm. it's a it's a nice shiny apple in the beginning until you find out it's poison. But I always. I never baffle at the fact I got into it. I baffle at the fact of like when they get to that point when they realize it's crazy and they've accepted it and just keep rolling. Uh, I think if you want to know what happened with next season, watch the episode. Yeah, definitely watch it. I think the main thing, and I'm no way a spokesman. I'm in no way an expert. I'm just somebody who worked on the show. And and I I don't want to speak to it, but too too much in detail, but... I think the the thesis of the show, in a bigger sense, nobody joins a cult. They join an organization that they think is going to be good for them, and they join an organization that is promising to make their lives better. I I would agree with you 100%. It's well said. And then they find out, or it twists into something else, or they're born into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? In in the same way, I mean, you can look at the comedy world, just even if you broaden it out, the comedy world, there are elements of culty things about improv. Oh, absolutely. Here's a great example. This thing called a love bomb, where they just shower an individual with love and, oh, and man, attention. I mean, Somebody I looking for you. their place in the world, that'll nail them. I know. I got your back. I got your back. Oh, all day with that. All day with that. Yep. In the improv world, I got yep. your back. You know, there's oh, a huge. system that's of huge. belief. You know, yes and. In terms of like accepting saying yes. There's a yeah. conditioning of the group. You know, you all go there through warm-ups. There is absolutely a conditioning of the group. Yeah. And their status. So you go through a class system, then you get on a team. Yeah. Then oh, you're yeah. performing comedy. You're right. That's you a great parallel. Show. That's a great parallel. A charismatic leader, Del Close. The, the status thing. The charismatic <laughs> leaders are all over the board. Um, that's never been one for me, though, because mm-hmm. I've, a lot of times there's these super charismatic leaders in these groups that I've come through, and I've been like, uh, what mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I don't get it. But then some there's been some that I've loved. You know yeah. they're great. They're great. But the Everybody, class thing is the class thing yeah. is a dead on. Well, you're indoctrinated into improv comedy. I mean, I'll confess something here publicly. I you know when I was at Steppenwolf, there was somebody in the school who did Landmark Forum. Do you know what Landmark Forum is? No, not a clue. So Landmark Forum is kind of uh, is a derivative of S. It was like called Scientology Light. And then Est then turned into the landmark, which turned into Landmark Forum. And I think they call it the Forum now. But I he brought me to one of the meetings. I signed up, put down my 600 bucks or whatever I had to pay because they promised me everything. Yeah, that's the thing. And man. I was 24, 23. Sure, sure. I was young. I was dumb. I was impressionable. You know, they find ways to catch you when you're vulnerable. Um, but that's exactly, yeah. that being said, that's exactly the person they're looking for. Mm-hmm. It's wrong for people you taking know, advantage of that. Yeah, but wanting to be a part of something bigger than you is actually a very noble thing. Well, everybody wants to do that on every level. Yeah. On every level. Everybody wants to be a part of and something And that's bigger. why I dedicated my life to improv <laughs> comedy. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Well, see, uh, well, that keeps moving. Yeah, you keep know? waiting for the dividends man, to come back in. A wise man once told me. 
spirit uh, no matter emotional. how successful you get with improv, you can't make a career out of it. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, you can't make a career out of it. You can have, a, you can make a living. You know what I mean? There are a couple of people. I mean, um, there are a few people that I know that like do the touring circuit and teach and travel the That's globe. That's a big teaching. thing now. And I'm like, how do you That's, make? How money do you get that gig? That? Yeah. But like I think about it, and I'm like, how do you make real money doing that? And like, do you have a retirement? Like, what's? I think it's a lot like your boats. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I mean, they're not making a ton of money to go over to uh, Scotland and teach an improv class yeah. for a week. They're getting paid to go to Scotland for the week, and it's great. And yeah. at the end of the day, they're going to come home with enough money to pay the rent for the month, and they got to go to Scotland. Yeah, know? I mean, that's the thing about improv that kind of sucks, I guess. Not sucks about improv, but just kind of sucks about the industry and, and where we're at, which is... It's an incredible it, when it's done really well, and you and I both do this for that very reason. Yeah, it's incredible. It's yeah. a, it can be incredibly poignant and stuff. I mean, it's a butt of a joke in a lot of pop culture right now, but it as it some is. of the most amazing shit I've ever seen on stage was in an improv show downstairs at I.O. Sure. at 10 p.m. Sure. on a Wednesday, and and I'm gonna say. I'm not going to knock the truth to that because I have those moments myself, but I'm going to compare that to uh, a 10 year old kid who is, you know, on Christmas or whatever and wakes up and gets the greatest present ever. And at that time in your life, when that's the most important thing to you, mm-hmm. that comes across as so meaningful. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's what it, like it touches us because we were there and we wanted to be it. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. other people would be in that room and go, I don't get it. And they wouldn't be wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think that that you know that's uh, it's sad to me. I mean, I it is yeah. you know it, it's it feels a little cynical, but also not to call that out. But I also think that on the other side of that too is that like, wouldn't it be great if in, improv didn't feel like it dead ended? You know what I mean? That there wasn't a sure. there was a there was an avenue, a place to go. If there was some kind of pro league television show, yeah, or pro league doing that. improv. Yeah, yeah. Be fantastic. But there's so many improvisers now. Well, you know? and here we go with this. Now disagree with me or don't on this. Uh, improv. <laughs> Got to get that in there. Got to get that yeah, in well, there. Well, that's the thing, though. That's the thing, because we may disagree on this one. Yeah. Um, improv has jumped the shark, man. I mean, it just has. Like, there, it's so watered down now where earlier, like when you were doing it in the early 2000s, sure. late 90s in Chicago, it was pure. The good people were good. People were trying yeah, to Yeah, but nobody in. knew about it. Right. You know, and now it is so popular that you show up places and you're just like, this is, and again, man, I don't mean to disparage or knock anybody, but I'm saying you show up places and there's so much of it now that you can show up somewhere and be like, this is brutal. Who, this isn't any kind of good. What's happening here? You know, I, I think the thing that always troubles me is when improvisers start improvising only for improvisers or they come up only improvising in front of improvisers. And yeah, and I think that that becomes this sort of snake eating its own tail where you don't the people who are coming up then watch those shows. And then all of a sudden they think that's how it's done. And I remember when I was at I.O., I came at the tail end of something that was special. And, you know, you were watching Four yeah. Square. You're watching great people. Came you're, it, yeah, you're watching Dan Bacadal, yeah. John Lutz. Yeah. Um, you're watching Jack McBrayer, you're watching Dasarisky, you're watching yeah. Weird Ass, Stephanie Weird, 
Yeah, yeah. You know, you're I, I also feel the same. Bob way. Dassey, uh, like that to, is lucky yeah. to get to see those performers yeah. do their stuff. Um, I think that you know TJ and Dave. You can't not mention that show. I mean, yeah. that's like okay. a really pivotal show. But um, and other teams. Like I, I came in tail end of Valhalla. I don't know if you know that team, but at IO, I mean, Valhalla was one of the best teams in the building. They were just unbelievable. Uh, People of Earth, Carl and the Passions, Georgia Pacific, you know, uh, the victim's family would come back. The family people would come stare, back and play people a bunch. Stare, me and Andy talk, touched on that yeah. a little bit. People stare and nerd out for those teams, man. Yeah. Like they do big time. They were amazing teams. Yeah, they were sure. amazing groups and right. amazing shows. And, you know, even The Reckoning, which are my contemporaries, like those guys did a run of shows at IO that were just I've been down awesome. to Chicago to see the reckoning. Yeah. When we go down and play the festival, of I would always go down a day early to see them. They were fantastic. Yeah. You know Fatty I mean? four eyes, auto rock. I mean, those guys were, those were great. great. I'm just going to put those you know? just naming teams. I was but on. that's like, to me now it's like, I don't know if you would be hard pressed to find anything that matches that not being the old guys that are like, it was better in our day. It, it was, was smaller. It was and more better. concentrated. It, it was right. I, I don't think it wasn't watered say, down. Yeah, man. I don't think you can say that. Like somehow, there's the talent was better, but I think that there was a magic there. For some reason, it was just condensed at, at a moment, and it was special. And I think that that's what you're speaking to. Sure, you know, yeah. I think not to disagree with the overall assessment, but I think that there was something magic happening in that building on Clark Street. You know, steps from Wrigley Field. Where it was just a magic space, especially that downstairs room. I, I look back on that. I wish I appreciated it more when I was there. Yeah, that's. I'll agree with that. I wish I appreciated you know? a lot more of the things that. But you, you I know. mean, you guys out of Detroit, there were so many great uh, people scene, coming. When out I was of coming up through Detroit, the scene, um, I didn't jump in early when all these people had started. Yeah. But as they were starting to take off, was like when I got in. Yeah. And. Uh, man, I, I will tell anybody like it, I'm humbled to have been a part of that scene at that time yeah. and to be accepted because yeah. so many phenomenal people came through there and then went down to Chicago into the scene you're talking about and then, and, and dominated the scene. I mean, they yeah. were fantastic. You know what I mean? Yeah. So being able to witness that is always to me, like, I feel like I did appreciate it at the time. You know, I mean, I was one of those guys that I was a little older, though, when I started. Yeah. So I was one of the guys that walked in the room and, you know, I'd see all these big egos on these young. And my take at the time immediate was like, these guys and girls are genius. Shut your mouth. Open your ears. Listen and pay attention. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I wish I was that. I wish I did that. You know what I mean? Like, I think I had I was super insecure and obviously I was nervous. I didn't feel like I belonged in that room, you know, and I definitely had people that were really great to me. I mean, like. John Lutz was my first real coach that in some ways mentored me, you know, uh, on, on an independent team that I was on. And, and really for, you know, about a year was our coach and mm -hmm. would pull me aside after he saw me do another show with another group and give me notes and talk to me about what I was doing. And, you know, was really encouraging. It, Dan Back at all was super encouraging to some of the work that I was doing. And I think I was just so scared that I was going to be like called out for being a fraud that I just kind of put up this combative, tough guy yeah, facade yeah. with everything that I just didn't, you know, I wasn't open. And I think that that's the thing is like, you got to learn. Yeah. I mean, like in a lot of ways, improvisation is sort of this mindfulness in action in a way, 
you know, like all the things that are sticking points within your improvisation in some ways reflect your sticking points in life because you are making oh, sure. it up on the spot sure. and, the, and the way your brain works is just the way it works. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that like, you know, um, the, when you do it long enough, you are going to be confronted with yourself like any artist. Is. Well, yeah. And if you're not, listen, you don't get anywhere with it. If you don't get to a point eventually where you're like, I got to be me up on stage. And I don't mean just be yourself, but like, you have to tap into what you know, what you do. And if you want to flip it and mirror that and be the opposite of it, you understand it. So you can't, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, I, I don't want But that takes reps. It takes time. And that takes time. It takes time. And it takes a certain amount of confidence yeah. and bra- bra- it takes bravado. Do you want a beer? Yeah, I'll have another one. Sure. Sweet. All right. So you also worked on uh, Disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Mm-hmm. I just kind of fell into this sort of production role. Trying to just literally like pay sure, rent, sure. like I but just... it's all real life stuff though. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, you it know is, what I mean? and, which is very popular right now. I feel very fortunate to be, you know, I, I'd say this with pride, a failed Chicago comedian that moved to L.A. and kind of fell into yeah, this here's role. Where, here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, <laughs> disagree with me or don't. I'm going to disagree with you. Everybody that comes out here and and. And I'm not saying this was your goal. Sure. I'm just being, I'm putting it in a ballpark. Everybody that comes out here and winds up, um, you know, not being on a TV show or a sitcom or working on some late night show or getting into movies or everything from that field has the same comment. And I, I know we say it tongue in cheek and you know, I'm a, I failed, I failed. But you've come out to L.A. from Tennessee to D.C. to Chicago, banging uh-huh. around doing improv, which we discussed how painful can be. And then now you've made your way out to L.A. and you are making a living in the entertainment industry, putting together shows in one of the hottest fields in TV right now, the true crime stuff. Yeah. There is no way that that's a failure. You know what I mean? Like at all. Like that's an awesome gig and opposed to what other people are doing you Thank know what I mean? like i used to run into burning buildings for 20 years dude. that's amazing what you're doing is awesome disagree with me or don't <laughs> i flipped it around that is amazing that you were a firefighter in detroit for how many years well 17 technically that's 17. crazy 17 yeah you ran into burning buildings uh in the busiest city would, in the world for that i've done some crazy things yeah, I would never do that. I, and I, just for the record, I will state, um, I in no way was uh, one of the best firemen or anything. There is guys in Detroit that are the best firemen in the world, man. These guys, you won't believe some of the stuff these yeah. guys do. And my brothers are some of them. Every one of them. That's Highly amazing. decorated, medals of valor, all that stuff. These That's guys incredible. are... incredible. They're phenomenal what they do. But, I mean, I digress. But, yeah, that was... I feel, so the, same. I feel being, the same way. There are better things you can do yeah, than I mean, I want to die every day. I feel very fortunate. Uh, you know, I flailed a lot in my 20s and, and kind of fell into this industry, into this part of the industry, just trying to make ends meet. And um, I feel really fortunate because I'm like working with a team 
that is incredibly professional. It's an honor to be able to like just be a part of that process because there's a lot of people involved in sort of making yeah. these stories happen, whether and it be... they're well done and it will suck you right in. Oh, you will great. sit down and start peeling through that Natalie Alloway stuff. You will sit down, like, I, I just, there's only two episodes in on the cult show right now, but I'm yeah. telling you, I watched the Nexium. I'm probably going to go home later tonight and watch the Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness, Witness episode. Yeah. Um, and the beautiful thing about them is it's short. It's not like a Netflix thing where I have to tune into eight hour long episodes where yeah, they kind of drag it. It's there. an hour. Oh, that's great to and hear. And I can get that's in great. and out and boom, bam, and I see a new one every other week. I like that. Great. You know what I mean? Disagree with me or don't now to get into the other half of the show here. Oh, okay. Uh, Tennessee Vols, you're a fan. Disagree yeah, with me or don't. lifetime fan. They should I, not have gotten rid of Butch. Absolutely disagree. I, I have absolutely to know why. Absolutely disagree. I have to know why. Well, one, I think Pruitt is going to turn. I, I mean, it's a college football coach hire, right? So, like, you yeah. really don't He's know. He's the guy after the guy after the guy. They hired, then fired, then they didn't want, then hired, then fired. I mean, how, how can he? What are you talking guy? about? Phil Fulmer left. Yeah. Phil Fulmer left. I think it was, was it Dooley was first? Or maybe it was Kiffin? Uh, I think it was Kiffin for a hot Kiffin second, right? came in. Yeah. They, he, he left like a thief in the night. And they burned him in effigy. It's a business. I, I'm telling you, Knoxville is the nicest place on the planet. And Neyland Stadium is a beautiful place. Uh, it is. I'm sure it is. Uh, my thing is, and the SEC is all guilty of this, if you're not beating Nick Saban, you're fired. Who the hell is beating Nick Saban? Relax. No one. Right. Yeah, but... So why are they running Butch out of town? He had a lot of good years, and then he had a couple down ones in a row. He had some really gone. bad years, and he had some top 10 recruiting classes in those two years that had matured enough that he should have been winning better games. All right, full and disclaimer, he, I'm a Chippewa, and he came from CMU Chippewas. But the guy was doing a good job. No, there, Jalen Hurd left the team. Other other prospects left the team. People pulled out of the team because of the way he was coaching and managing the team. And now there are all these reports that he was abusive to the players, that, that certain dads of players on the team were like, I'm yanking my kid out of there because he's going to destroy his self-esteem. He's not going to be any good anymore. I will... I will argue not that those people are lying in any way, shape, or form. It's probably all true stories. But I will argue that when the media pressure in Knoxville starts coming down on you for only winning eight or nine games, and they start coming down on you as a coach, you can start to panic. And he started to panic. He did. Well, he started he lost like two games in a row. Yeah, he got to go. And badly. <laughs> I mean, but the other part of it, too, is that he had four years – didn't he? He did. The so, FCC so, is tough, though, man. Yeah, the FCC is tough. I mean, where, where would you, where would you think Tennessee should land in the SEC right oh, now? Well, they, well, next year. I'm not just your prediction for next year. I'm saying as a whole, in this day and age of SEC football, what are your expectations for Tennessee? Not to knock Tennessee; it has a storied history. Oh, Tennessee should storied be should history. be contending for a national title. You want year. them to contend for a national title, but the truth is, you've got Alabama, you've got Auburn. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Florida, who even when they're down and not doing well the last couple of years, makes it to the SEC championship yeah. game. I mean, the SEC is so top heavy with Tennessee great teams. should be in the SEC championship picture every year. I don't know that they can recruit that way anymore. I think they should definitely be able to recruit that way. I, look, the, Phil Fulmer's back. 
He's the AD. Why so, wouldn't he go out and get T. Martin? What, hire T. Martin? Yeah, why a, wouldn't he hire T. Martin? I mean, I they're, they're interviewing him for NFL jobs. He's an offensive coordinator. He's a wizard. He won the national title. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Phil Fulmer knows something about him because he did win a national title with T. Martin as his quarterback. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that... He'll be the head Carlton coach within two years. Disagree with me or no. T. Martin will be the head coach... Of Tennessee? Two years from now. Two years I from don't now. agree because I actually think Pruitt's going to get a fair look. I think he's a placeholder, and in two years they're going to blow him out for T. Martin. Really? I do. That's crazy. If you want to make the move and get well, better. one Tennessee is a conservative state. Extremely. It's a conservative state. So Tennessee is. Well, you think it may be political and racial? They're not going to get a black coach, maybe, or. No, I'm. I'm saying that they tend to err on the side of sticking with what they have as opposed to getting rid of the thing they don't. And the AD, the last AD, was a dipshit, and you know, tried to. Right. play games with who the next coach was going to be and Phil Fulmer swooped in and saved the day. I mean, I I'm I'm a fan of Phil Fulmer. I think that he he him getting bumped out of Tennessee was a bad move. There's one reason I am not a fan of Fulmer. Of course, what is it? That shit he pulled in 97 with the national championship was garbage. What? That was garbage. What? Because Charles Woodson rightfully won the Heisman Trophy over Peyton Manning. He got shitty about that. And in his final voting, the final coaches poll, he put undefeated Michigan number four so that they had to share the title with Nebraska. That was some horseshit. Horseshit. Charles Woodson was one of the greatest football players ever. I didn't say he wasn't petty. Oh, that was that pissed me off so bad. What a (laughs) crock of shit. But I like that about him. I like that he's competitive and kind of shitty sometimes. I like that about Phil Fulmer. Oh, I hated him. He's for that, great. Man. I mean, I'm excited to have him back in Tennessee. And I, you know, I, look, Butch Jones said all the right things. He said all the right things at every time. But he never answered for the fact that his team underperformed. Josh Dobbs was an elite quarterback, he had one of the best running attacks. Yeah. He had one of the best running attacks in college football, and he couldn't get the deal done. But that's on him, right? Not the coach. What? That's that Josh Dobbs? Dobbs? That's no, Dobbs. it's on the coach. It's on the coach to set you up with the line. He's got all the ingredients. Play. He's got all the ingredients. Yes, when you've got all the ingredients and you make bad soup, you cannot blame who went shopping. You fucked up the soup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's Dobbs. He had a great running attack. Why couldn't he perform on the passing downs? I don't know. Sometimes kids just don't have it. They're five-star recruits on paper, and they can't live up to it. You know what I mean? I still think the Butch Jones had to go. All right. Well, disagree with me or don't on this one. Uh, Bruce Perlman is probably the dirtiest coach in the history of college basketball next to uh, Calipari and Patino. And I, maybe Tark. I, I got Bruce Pearl. He is the dirtiest. Like that, Actually, I don't really care about Bruce Pearl anymore because Tennessee's doing so well. Well, they're so. coming out of what he left them with. Yeah, he did. But to me, it's like this guy, they have recruits on record he's saying he's the bastard. dirtiest bastard he's I talked to on the phone. I had to hang up in fear that I wouldn't be able to play. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's a sleazy dude. He's a sleazy dude. Oh, my God. But, I, he, but I mean, you, you kind of love him a little bit. I, not at all. Don't you don't love him a little bit? No, the then he tie. goes on to Auburn and he's in the same hot water. Here's what I think the NCAA needs to do. The NCAA needs to make a rule called the Perlman Rule. 
If you go to a school and burn it down with your illegal activity, <laughs> you don't get to bounce and go coach somewhere else next year. You are, as long as the... If they, Can we like, call it the Kiffin rule? Because, you know, Lane Kiffin screwed over Tennessee in the same exact way. Not at the same level, but... All of our recruits left and went to USC. But they left and went to USC. But Perlman got nailed to the point where the basketball team got put on sanctions and lost scholarships. And like to me, it's like if if they decide because of what he did, Tennessee loses three years of scholarships and three years of going to the tournament. Well, I think he should be banned from coaching for three years. I think in the end, if he had told the truth in the beginning, it would have been less of an issue around the board. But the fact that he lied to the AD is the reason why he got fired in the first place. I mean, in fact, he's doing the same thing down to Auburn now too, and they're under hot water, and they're in hot water. With yeah, let's get, Auburn, let's get Auburn. Let's get Auburn. Let's get Auburn discontinued from yeah, NCAA competition for three years. I'd be fine with that. I would think Bruce that would be the biggest him. gift he could give to the University of Tennessee. It, well, that'd be great, and they, he should be banned for a number of years too. I, I can't, I can't stand guys like that, man. You know, and then the assistant coaches are the ones that get burned on it, and he walks anyway. Anyway, so. I want to jump into a little NFL with you, though, too. Um, so you're a Titans fan. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Tennessee when Tennessee didn't have a professional football team. And at the time, you couldn't, like, be a Vols fan. Like, I mean, I could be a Vols fan, but I couldn't. I had to go to bars right. every time to watch the games. Like, sure, I could, you sure. know. So when Tennessee got their own professional team, I was like, okay, I'm going to buy in. And a good run early, too. Yeah, I mean, that 99 season was yeah. amazing. One yard and from they, the Super Bowl championship. Yeah, in 2000, they had another, they had the best defense in football, not the Ravens, yeah. statistically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole Steve McNair era McNair was fantastic yeah, until great. he got shot in the face by his girlfriend. You can't run around with a 19-year-old, man. No, you can't you're do that it, old, it's you just can't news. walk around like it's that, man. News. That's a bummer to hear, though. Rest in peace, Stephen. That's a bummer to hear. Yeah, that's a huge bummer. What do you think about them now? Would they win eight last year and made the playoffs, right? Eight and eight, or did they go nine and seven? One of the two. Uh, I think they they went nine and seven and made the playoffs. Made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. And and Jacksonville's going to be pretty tough. I don't know. They went pass rush. They only have four picks in the draft. They went pass rush. They got that Landry guy in the second round because he dropped. You're going to need in that division. Yeah, I think so. But I think that um, let's see. You know, they have a new coach, Vrabel, and um, they got rid of DeMarco Murray, so now it's Derrick Henry's team. They're going to pound it between the tackles. Uh, you know, I think Now, that- here's something I'll say disagree with Andy St. Clair or don't, because he pointed this out to me because the Lions just got uh, Patricia, who's a Patriots defensive guy as a coach. Yeah. So Titans now have Vrabel, who's a defensive guy as a coach, and he said – why is anybody excited about that? Defense, Patriots defense has been brutal for so many years. Why is anybody excited about that? Well, the, well, one, Vrabel was on some elite defenses for the Patriots. He was. He, he was coaching for the Patriots. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, we'll see. You know, uh, our GM is a Patriots guy. Um, Us too, same situation. Yeah, so I, I think it's a little bit of in-house. But I think, you know, with any of those situations, you're kind of, you know – I hate to say it, I think my biggest concern about the Titans is their offense and the fact that they don't have an elite wide receiver and they have a quarterback who should be coming into his prime and but hasn't kids, been able to yeah. play an entire season without being injured. Being hurt. If he can be healthy, I think he'll be very, very good. Um, but they have a I don't fantastic... know if the kid out of Western is going to pan out. Yeah. Because he's a Bronco. I mean, but 
I don't know if they're going to pan out. I mean, you know, is what it is. I I wish him well because I am I like anybody from the Mac. I'm just downplaying the rivalry there with Western Michigan, but anybody for the Mac I'm rooting for. But man, he didn't. He hasn't really performed at first round pick status, man. No, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I don't know. I I think that um, I think that. Uh, Tennessee's offensive line is an elite offensive line, and if you can't make things happen behind yeah. that line, yeah. you got to start reevaluating. But I'd yeah. hate, you know, we had Locker, you know, before that, yeah, and then bust. we had Vince Young before that. Bust. Bust. And so we continue to bust out on quarterbacks. Maybe we should, you know, I think, our I best think Mariota seasons, is good. I think Mariota is good. I think Mariota is good. I yeah. think that he is, uh, I think he's injury prone. I actually think he's getting better at managing the game and realizing where his strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. But he's, you're right. He's got to stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, I think Delaney Walker is probably the best player on that offense. Like, hands down. I think yeah, that. Fair enough. I think he's the number two tight end when Gronkowski is playing, and he's the number one tight end when he's not. And so I think that Delaney Walker is an incredibly underrated player, which is a lot for that offense. That's fair enough. That's fair so enough. So I think that you got sort of the pieces here. And you got a couple of wide receiver prospects, but you got nobody that's a lockdown guy on the outside. So where's the threat going to come from? You know, where are the Titans' deep threat going to be? You don't have it. Davis has got to play. Yeah. I mean, he's got to start getting downfield the speed they Well, they think he's the number one guy, but who knows? I mean, I mean give him some time. He's young, and he, it's what a big it? adjustment from the Mac to the NFL yeah. at that position. Yeah. You know, that's what they say the big difference between the big conferences is – it, you know, a lot of your specialty players can play in any conference. Like he's a guy that probably could have went into Big Ten and still competed. Yeah, and been one of the best receivers in the country. He's a big but he guy. didn't. He's not used to that competition yeah. level yet. Yeah, you know what I mean, I mean, he's a big guy, and you yeah, know, he's got a he's got long arms, and you know, he can you know really make some plays. I mean, I think the thing they think is he's a red zone threat. You know, right? right. But you know, I don't. Who else is catching for that team? And a lot of that, too. I'll give him a little break on this. We just were talking about it. There's some inconsistency at quarterback. Not that Mariota's playing inconsistent when he's healthy, he plays well, but there's some inconsistency under center with rotating quarterbacks because yeah, of his Yeah, well, injuries. it's like Matt Castle. But if you look at the Titans since McNair left, the best seasons they've had are with uh, Kerry Collins yeah. and uh, Fitzgerald. Okay. Veteran quarterbacks that have been relocated to those teams as their like swan song years. That Kerry Collins season, they had one of the best division. They had one of the best seasons in the. Uh, Kerry Collins know, is a guy AFC. that bounced around quite a bit and was underrated. I mean, he took yeah. the Giants to the damn Super Bowl. Yeah. You know right. What I mean, so he comes in. He has Chris Johnson. They, you know, play incredible and then get into the playoffs, yeah. get bounced yeah. out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Fitzgerald comes in. They have a great team. They win some games. They look pretty good, and then you yep. know they yep. draft Mariota. And then, so they have this pattern of drafting quarterbacks, putting, getting in veterans to substitute for them. The veterans outperform the rookies that they draft, oh, and sure. then the rookies sure. bust out. I'm not saying Mariota is, is going to be a bust. Matt Stafford aside, welcome to the Detroit Lions. That's been our history. <laughs> we draft these clowns, and then the backups Who's running the ball for you guys this year? Man, I don't even know. That I, I don't know, man. I, who knows, man? Who really knows? And we drafted a fullback. They said in the press we've eliminated a fullback position. Then they drafted a fullback, and then they come out and said we're reinstating the fullback into the offense, which I think is great. But I, listen, man, how do I don't you know. not have a fullback? 
They, they said they had eliminated it from the offense, and now they say it's back in the offense. So Yeah, because somebody goes, what the fuck are you doing? Get I a mean, fullback. I, listen, our our, our What are you going to do on defense. goal line? Yeah, Our biggest problem is defense. Yeah. We have no defensive line, and you cannot play in the NFL with no defensive mm-hmm. line. Well, that's we, the thing. You know, it's like over and over and over again yeah. with the NFL, and that's why it's so predictable. It's like if you don't have a front four yeah. and you don't have a front five, you gotta game over. You gotta be able to hold down the line of scrimmage, man. You can have the best quarterback on the planet if he's getting knocked all over the field. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. So our old line is gonna be pretty decent. I don't know who's gonna run. We'll see who winds up being the running back. You guys have three, four, or four. We three. drafted another running back, the kid out of Auburn. Yeah, but uh, he's had some injury issues, which I'm like, God, that's our history too. We draft these guys like Javid Best, and, and they're. They're so injury prone; they can't last. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I don't know. Not yeah. a big fan of it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's being a Lions fan. Uh, the worst franchise in the history of professional sports. Well, I think the Titans are a forgotten franchise. I don't think people really ever consider the Titans. Even when we were great, nobody was going to those Titans. Man, they really scared no, but me. But they're an expansion team, so that's tough. Yeah, but the Jaguars are an expansion team. I think they get more yeah. attention than the Titans do. Well, since they've been good. Yeah, the Titans got new uniforms. You know. So very excited about the new unis. Oh, I, don't, I mean. They look just like the old Just like the old like, ones. Let's they had like a kiss of detail change, <laughs> and that's it. It's nothing. But, you know, I mean, it's weird. Like, my two teams, my two big football teams are the Titans and, and, and the Vols. But then, you know, I, I'm Chicago across the board with everything else. No, Bears, I like, my biggest problem with the Bears is that they ever, ever let Cutler go. I, I would tell my wife every weekend we're sitting around watching the games. She's a big football fan. I was Whoever I was watching the games with, I'd like, I pray every night that Jay Cutler is a vampire and will live forever and play for the Bears because I hate the Bears. No disrespect to my man John Young, who is there working in their equipment department right now, is working with the team. Gotta love John Young, dude. John that Young, John Young guy's that's a great. Amazing. I'm proud of him. That's awesome. Yeah. And I will be pulling for the Bears while he's there. But that's my number one team where I'm like, oh, I can't stand that team. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, well, I'm the Lions and a Packers fan. So, you yeah. know what I mean? I think, um, you know, the Bears as an organization have failed their fans for decades now. Sure. I mean, I think that, like, that remember the Jim Miller era for the Bears when they were getting into the NFC Championship with like all defense. It was yeah. just it was just all defense, and then they got Rex Grossman was the answer. Grossman took them to the Super Bowl. Hey, Grossman was and lost to Peyton Manning and the Colts, who was uh, you know was a phenomenal team, best quarterback to ever come out of Florida playing the NFL. Frankly, probably maybe the most successful Florida quarterback in the NFL. He probably is. I right? can't challenge that. Who right else? Now. But I mean, you know, I can't even challenge the that Steve right Spurrier now. era of yeah. quarterback. Spurrier might have had a better career. He never went to the Super Bowl. No, he didn't have a good career. He's shitty Tampa teams. No, he probably is. Yeah, he probably is. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I think the Bears. I I have the same problem with the Bears that I have a little bit with the Bulls, which is I can't. I have completely disconnected from the Bulls. I cannot watch Gar Foreman and Paxson build another team that just maybe has the potential to contend in the East. It is just yep. like torture watching them and what they're doing with that team. They, they're, there's, they have no contention for any of the big names coming out of free agency Mm-mm. this year. Mm-mm. There's not a soul on the team that I even give a fuck about. What is that guy, Mackin, whatever his name? I, who cares? 
Yeah, who rough. cares? They're terrible. They're a terrible franchise right and now. They are. If, they are. If they, I, I could kind of understand. I kind of was with them when they were like, okay, we're going to get rid of Derrick Rose. Obviously, that was the right choice. But at the same time, it's like, okay, do we get rid of Derrick Rose and Jimmy Butler at the same time and rebuild completely and get more draft picks? Or do we keep Butler and then try and entice some big stars to come out, which they've never been successful no. in bringing no, any. No, that's not going to work. Yeah, yeah, you had to move them. Yeah, yeah. you had to move them. But then you keep the same two idiots in there that have been doing the same shit over and over again. That's, that's a lot of franchises do that, man. Yeah. Being a Bulls guy, I imagine uh, you're a big time Jordan guy. Oh yeah, big time Jordan guy. Yeah, I mean yeah, we me have being, a mutual you know, friend that I get in big fights with. Uh, yeah, well I'm for gonna, fun. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> bad boys were way better, but here's what I'm gonna say. Oh yeah, they um, were? how the many ba- championships did they win? The bad boys, just the bad boys. Uh, they repeat three peated. I will always say they three-peated. They three-peated in an era where none of those other teams did. And then when they got old, Jordan beat them. What did they three-peat? They won. Listen, that game seven bullshit with the Lakers where uh, Kareem got fouled <laughs> at the end of the game. That's bullshit. Go back and watch Bad Boys 30 for 30. No one is near Kareem at the end of the game and we're up one. And they call a phantom foul and send him to the line to hit both free throws and take the lead and they win the damn game. That's bullshit. We yeah. should have won that okay. one. Okay, well, that's we fine. That just two. makes up for Lambeer mugging anybody everybody who got everybody. into the paint. Everybody mugged that's everybody. That's not true. Lambeer was a fucking goon. Uh, everybody he mugged was a everybody. goon back under there. He just pounded. He had no talent. What was Kurt Rambis doing? Uh, everybody mugged everybody back then. Sure, That's how it was. We were better Lamp at it. Beer we were better didn't at it. Do anything else on the floor? I I will disagree with you. This is what I said <laughs> to somebody else before. I will say Bill Lambeer does not get the credit for, and he's not single handedly, but for the evolution of that center position to take guys out of the paint so that guys can get to the hoop. That's huge in basketball right now. And he was one of the first centers that played a lot of high post. And would bang out and hit threes and play high post to draw the big men out of the paint and let Isaiah get to the hoop. That he was one of the first guys to do a lot of that, and that is a big time thing in basketball right now. He doesn't yeah. get credit for that. Oh well, you know maybe he did do something. I'm sure there are guys in that era that were drawing people out of the paint at the time. I think slashing to the basket has been a big part of the NBA for decades. It has, but big men. They cramped it up in the 80s. But here's what's going to be my okay, point. I know you argue with Brett a lot of times. I love it. And it's I so, will say this. I, just, I like to get his goat. Sure. I, yeah. Sure. Well, it's easy to get. He's a Cavs fan. Yeah. But I will say this. Um, disagree with me or don't. If LeBron James wins the NBA title this year over the Golden State Warriors, he'll surpass Mike as the best. I mean, I definitely think that he's part of the conversation. I here's here's the thing. I, I think there's a distinction to be made because I think that like if if we're talking honestly, and I'm not just trying to get a rise out of Brett, I think Michael Jordan lives in a in a different stratosphere in terms of athlete. I, he is on the Mount Rushmore of of American athletes sure. like Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan. He is. And who else do you put there? Tiger Woods might have gone there if he didn't no, destroy the second out. half of his career. He's out. You know um, what I mean? Maybe maybe Joe Montana. I will disagree with you on that one. John Elway. My parallel to the LeBron Jordan argument is a Joe Montana point. A lot of people always say, you know, oh, Joe Montana's the best. He was four for four Tom in the Super Brady's Bowl. Tom Brady's clearly the greatest quarterback right. to ever play the NFL. But he gets knocked for losing the three. And I'm like, he got to eight. And my, here is my thing. contention against LeBron James' case for being the greatest ever. 
he is definitely maybe if you're just taking skill and ability, he is the greatest basketball. He's the greatest player basketball player to ever of live. all time. Yes, and I think a couple of things knock him when people consider him. Obviously, the nostalgia point for Jordan and the fact that Jordan like. It's this crazy timing event where you have this big rivalry that picks up the NBA out of being like the sort of B-League sporting event to being a mainstream sporting event, like a mainstay stage sporting event in the national sort of zeitgeist. You know, you have this rivalry between the Lakers and the Celtics to take it out of the 70s into because I don't think we talk about it a lot, but the, the NBA had some money problems in the 60s. Big time, big time, time, big time. So, like, you have those, and then Jordan comes in and bam. He's elegant on the court. He's got these amazing ball hands that can hold on to the ball, that can control the ball. And he's beautiful to watch play the game. He's got, you know, he can he cuts under the – talk about going under the basket. He goes under the basket with that hand holding the ball and he can control the ball under the basket and do things under there that seem miraculous. Yeah, he did a lot of things at the time that people who didn't know Dr. No. J were like, wow. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. But I also think that it was also this confluence of media and everything happened. He just became larger than his sport. Absolutely. In a way, I don't think any player in sports had ever become ever any player in any sport. Or has sense. I just think that he expanded his his sure, persona. Sure. I mean, we still talk about Michael Jordan today. We still buy his shoes. Oh uh, yeah, you no know, doubt. You're, yeah, that he's he's ingrained. And in, you're right about the Mount Rushmore. He's yeah, on it. There's no doubt about that. I think his going six for six. I'm not a big. I'm not a big fan of whoever won the most championships is the greatest and whoever did all that. Because then it's but Bill Russell. Being said, then it's Bill Russell. Right, which is ridiculous. And then the other argument for LeBron do, going to eight titles, how many titles in a row? It'll be eight straight now. Eight, yeah. eight straight in a row. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bill Russell went to seven straight in a row and won all of them. In a day and age where nobody was above six foot and he was 611 feet tall, but whatever. Well, I mean, sure. Different day and age that, you know, eras. I'm a big fan of that. But. To go six for six and never even have a series forced seven games says something. Says something. And about everybody the West. says sure. Brett will always say this, but other people will argue as well. The competition level back then wasn't what it is now, and I was you couldn't I be more think, wrong. I, I think that is so wrong. The players in the LeBron. league are better now, but the competition level to say that. Like beating Utah in six games with Malone and Stockton, and uh, what, that's a great team in the history of the league. That's, that's a, great, a team. great team in the history of that era. You're talking yeah. about Jordan having to get through the East. Yeah, he he was challenged in his own conference. LeBron has yeah. never been challenged in his conference except by the Celtics. Yeah. Now I will this say, is the only team he's never been challenged. No, maybe yeah. by Indiana. You know, at at one point, maybe no, the early Derek in his career, Rose, the Pistons when they won the title. Yeah, sure. But that was when he was young in his but career. But no, but I mean, he's never really been challenged in the East. If you look no, at the teams hasn't. that Jordan he had hasn't. to play in the East, he had to play the Knicks with Patrick Ewan. He had to play the Pacers with Reggie Miller. He had to play the Magic with Penny and Shaq. He had to play. He some, lost to them, and he lost to them. Yeah. But he lost, you know, that everybody puts an asterisk next to that year because he didn't play that entire season. He didn't play season. the whole year, yeah. I, you I know, get that. And but... he never played the Rockets at their peak. Because I think that Akeem Olajuwon team, with I'm a huge Akeem Olajuwon fan. I think yeah. he's the most underrated. I would have loved to have seen the Bulls play that Rockets team. Yeah. 
Because you've got like Horace Grant, like how it, you know, it may be that, or or you'd have Rodman up there in the paint battling with Akeem. I I just think Akeem is like maybe the greatest center of all time, maybe one of the most underrated players. It's him or Shaq. If I had to pick a team, it's him or Shaq. And I think Kareem is. I think I think Kareem is there too. I think Kareem is like the greatest. I think it's like you take. I don't know those three. Somehow they let them battle it out and figure it out. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because I the think- only reason I wouldn't take Kareem is that um, he was a great scorer. Whereas now there's so many guys that are great scorers that if I was putting together this all-time team, yeah. I don't like. I don't need that point production out of that position. Sure. I need somebody intimidating down there to block shots, rebound, and score. Well, it depends yeah. on the type of team you want to build. Yeah, but like yeah. I think ultimately, like it's kind of funny to think of. Shaq in the triangle offense. Obviously, he's going to dink and dunk twos like sure, all night sure, if you can get the ball long. to him. All night but long. like, don't you think like Kareem on some level might be the better center for that offense? You know, because he can rebound, he can and, shoot. Man, I mean, he would be in this day and age because again, he would draw guys out of the paint where Shaq's going to just clog it up. But yeah. yeah, and again, that's where we get into its eras, the way the game was played during certain eras. But that's the exciting you know? thing about basketball is it's a fluid game. That is a game that always evolves and gets better due to athleticism. Like baseball's baseball and guys are better at certain things now than they were in the past. I'm not saying they're not, yeah. but you could plug some of the mold timers into the game today and they could perform just like they did back then. I think baseball is a better sport to watch than it was 15 years ago. Sure. I think, I think people are, I think the small ball sort of analytics has actually made the game more enjoyable to watch because you're getting more hits. It's not but about it's evolving not- away from that. It is evolving away from that. If you've noticed in the last bunch of years, the guys leading the league in batting average and all these kind of numbers are dropping at the plate because everybody's just trying to hit home runs because that's what you get paid for. If you hit 320 and you hit 15 home runs and you have 85 RBIs, in the 80s or 90s, you're getting a fat contract. Nowadays, you're just another guy. But if you strike out 3,000 times and hit 48 home runs, you're getting a $200 million contract. So all these guys are going to the plate now trying to mash home runs, and I think it's hurt the hitters. I don't think the hitters are performing. I mean, that would speak to the way the Cubs are so goddamn streaky. That's all they're trying to do is mash home runs. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just want those guys to do what it looks like they do well, which is get on base. Just get on fucking base. Get some runners on. Yeah. But whenever, again, this goes back to what we said earlier in the comedy thing, man. Yeah. You've got to have some guys that are willing to get on base for the home run hitters. Mm-hmm. And that team doesn't. Everybody wants to be the home run hitter. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I think that, like, the problem with them is more of the head game where they go cold. But, you know, that's the least of the Cubs' problems right now. Their bats are on. It's the pitching that's killing Pitching's them. Pitching's faltering them right now. Well, Darvish is a mess. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, Montgomery came in. Darvis and, is historically a mess. He is always a mess. Well, I think that like the Cubs would want that deal back. They would want to maybe offer yeah. Arietta five years and one hundred thirty-five. Well, I would say the Dodgers would like that deal back from last year. Yeah, uh, let's spend a little more money and go get Verlander and then have the title. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have the title. Yeah, they did. I mean, it's it's not a it's a fact. It's out there. They didn't go after Verlander because of the money. They thought Darvish was the cheaper option yep. and that he would be good enough. Yeah, and you fucked up. And he's a head case. But I think that like the Cubs are in a similar position now, where it's like, okay, they have Russell. Do they deal some prospects or do they do they try and deal Russell because you know they can and he's an expendable piece to that defense. 
And they can move over Baez, put Zorbarus at second, or put Hap at second. You get Hap in the lineup regularly. Maybe the bats yeah, come on. Yeah, better, yeah. And you deal, and you go get Merchado, who has got to... Everybody's going to be after him. Yeah, but the other part of it, too, is like if you get him, then maybe you can sign him in free agency, as opposed to letting him go, having to compete with him in free agency. No, I mean, at the deadline this year, everybody's going to be oh, after yeah, trying yeah, to get yeah, Merchado. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. that's going to be... A, you're going to have to give up some shit, and I don't know what they've got in their farm system. No, they have Underwood, but it's like... They've been holding Underwood in the farm system for, I don't know, three years. So it's just like, but he's not really, everybody says he's got the talent, but he's a head case. So you need pitching. You need starting pitching. You don't have it. So do you bring this guy up? Do you have Montgomery continue to pitch five and a half innings and then exhaust your bullpen early on in the season? Or maybe Darvish is going to come back in a game or two, but well, his shoulder's still fucked up. I'll give your boys one nod on this. They got the best manager in the game. Madden? I wanted yeah, him but in I Detroit wish... so bad years ago. That fantastic. guy's great. But the other part of Madden, that it, as, as a fan, sometimes gets a little frustrating because you see that this team could be a dynasty team, is he tinkers with the batting lineup like nonstop, tinkers with the lineup nonstop, which is fine. It's just... Sometimes well, when they're struggling, though, you got to do that. You got to do that, but this, he doesn't when they're not struggling. And I think that like sometimes it's better for them to get in a rhythm. But what do I know? I'm not a coach of a major league team. Yeah, he's a great coach, man. He's a great, he's coach, a great coach, and he's great at subs and doing all that stuff. He's every, great at. I'm telling you, everybody was knocking the, the Tigers this year for hiring Garden Hire out of retirement, but we're the freaking Celtics of Major League Baseball right now. Yeah. Uh, if you'd have told me that this shitty Tigers team with yeah. a bunch of nobodies and Miggy hurt. Would be two games out in June. I told you, you were nuts. Yeah, but Garden hires again. All those years up in Minnesota. This is a guy's a great manager. Yeah. Well, you know, you know it's early. It's not even June yet. So tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> is it June tomorrow? I think it is. I think uh, it is. But you know, I mean, yeah. it, it's still. I don't expect them to make the wild. Like hundred and sixty but... whatever games. You yeah. know, it's yeah. it's. It's crazy. Like baseball is the most frustrating sport for me to be a fan of. Yeah. Because like with basketball, I know when I can start tuning in. I pay attention to the beginning of the yeah, season. Baseball, you got to tune in all year. Halfway through the season, then yeah. I keep. Yeah. In baseball, you have to yeah. kind of know. It's an or the team is like an organism. And every kinda, game counts. Every man. game counts. Every game counts. But you also kind of have to know like what the nuances of the team are. And sometimes I just don't have time. Like last yeah. year, I'm like literally keep up with. all over the fucking world, and I'm like coming home and exhausted. And There's I'm, a lot to keep up with. Yeah, baseball, and man. then I can't like yeah. keep up. Basketball and the NHL suffer from the same problem. The, the regular season's too long. Yep. Too many teams get in the playoffs. Yep. you got teams with losing records getting in the playoffs. Yep. And then here's the reason why the NHL is a little superior in that factor is no matter what teams get in the playoff, those guys will die trying to win a game in the playoffs. Whereas your number eight seed in the NBA, they're like, this is cool. We'll let LeBron I would love this. I would love the NBA to be like 3-3 three, three, or 3-5-7-7. Three, seven, yeah, seven. it'll never happen. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it would be so great to be money. like, well, I just love – I love the flukiness of a three-game series. Right, that's why. And the never risk do it. you can't risk. But you would never have your. But you never have your top seeds in there. It would always be. Well, I mean, you know what they're talking about now, which is just taking the top teams. Which is putting, the worst idea ever. Really, I think it's the worst I think it's idea. Ever. I think it's great. Here's I why see I think it. that will kill certain markets. 
There are markets that survive because they're in the East and can finish third or fourth and make it to the playoffs. Whereas if you just open that whole thing up, this market, like an Indiana Pacers team who was great and mm-hmm. fun to watch in his playoffs, wouldn't even have been in this year according to that series, that system. That's where it'll kill too many smaller market teams, and I don't think they should do it. I think they should end the lottery. I think they should absolutely end the lottery. I think it kills. I think it it doesn't create enough parity in the league. And yeah. the problem with the league is there's not any parity at all. Yeah. You know. Well, it's a, but it's a big free agent league. I mean, that's just what it is. Yeah. You know. But, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's I, – I think the NBA has way too many games. I would love to see it at, like, 60 games. Somebody had a great idea that I thought was awesome I heard one time about the lottery. All the teams that are in the lottery, like in that – week off before the playoffs start those teams go into an ncaa style tournament to see where they land on who they get what pick they get and the team whoever that wins does that better. tournament gets the number one pick whoever comes in second gets the number two yeah pick. but then whoever... your bad teams are always going to be bad uh, they're all shitty and they're tanking at the end of the year you put them in a tournament and see who beats who i think it'd be a lot of fun sell a lot of tickets and uh, you know what i mean it's what would money. you call it uh, the toilet bowl. I don't know. So like a, <laughs> uh, shitty bracket with like, you know, asterisks yeah. up there like you'd send in a text or something. Yeah. Swear. I don't know. But it would be fun. I'd watch it. I mean, the NBA is doing pretty well right now. It's yeah. not doing badly. They're on giant up. I do think that, you know, having LeBron and Golden State in the finals again isn't great for the league and for fandom. It ain't bad, though. You got your best players in the championship game. And Here's some an argument of us who are to make, fatigued, though. Let's but. go back to the LeBron argument. Here's my other thing about LeBron. In his own time and in his own era, I think that Steph Curry is a more transformative player to the league than LeBron will ever be. Yeah, he transformed the league, but then that comes back to our... I'm talking about a kid being a fan of basketball sure, and seeing himself and Steph Curry and his physique... And not being born like LeBron. Shaq was an amazing superstar. Absolutely. And was dominant for a long time in the league. But not everybody was Shaq. So people didn't aspire to Shaq. Kids in the ballpark at the playground, they aspired to be Jordan. They stole Jordan's moves. I wouldn't even argue with you on that, that he has been more transformative of a game than LeBron has. So it's like, how do you really... I mean, one, it's a fun conversation to have, but in the end, like, how do you really identify a character? One, let's just talk about how Brett still doesn't claim to this day that LeBron is his favorite player on that team. He won't admit that LeBron is his favorite player on that team. He's got about 15 jerseys. Yeah, He's got about 15 jerseys, but like to this day, I'm like, he's not even your favorite player. He won't even say that he's his favorite player. I'm going to ask him that next time I see him because I, I don't know that. Yeah, I'm gonna ask. Him he's that. like he's got some weird shit going well, on. I think with a Cavs. lot of real Cleveland fans like him, and I'll give him credit here. Like he's a diehard Cleveland guy. I think he's still a bit hurt by the Miami move. Yeah, I'm sure. I like what you're doing for me lately. But he's like he's like the wife that cheated on you and you <laughs> took her back. Yeah. Yes, I love my wife, and we're making it work. But it's always in the back of my mind you're a whore. Yeah. You know what I mean. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens to him this year. You see if he stays at Cleveland. Yeah, or I, I already told Brett. I conf- I I've already put my chips on the table. Because it's not going to happen. But if he wins the title this year and beats Golden State, I'll give him the nod. He's better than Jordan. There is no way Jordan would have achieved what he's achieved this year. I'll agree with that argument. I, I think he's in the argument, but I think that he's There's still... no way he would have beat all these teams the way he did and then beat what many say is the greatest team in NBA history, this Golden State team. If he beats them by himself, 
it's going to be hard to argue. I mean, it is fun. I mean, if he wins this thing, it will blow my mind. We'll see. I I still don't know. It depends. Like that last the the not last year, but the year before last, when he just like took the team and and won that last game in that series. Yeah, I was like, this guy's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable, man. Yeah. And and I'll say this: this year. I see the one thing in him that I never saw that I always knocked him on and gave Jordan the nod over. He never was a killer. He never had that. Jordan wanted to rip your heart out, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? And LeBron never had that. And people would defend him and say, he's a pass first Definitely guy. Definitely didn't have that in, in Miami. Year, yeah, this year, he's got that look on his face during games where he's like, I'll tear your throat out and score. I mean, yeah. he really looks different. You know what I mean? We'll see what happens. Do you think he might retire? No, no way. Too much money on the table. He ain't going there. I don't know about that. He's got a lot of money. He ain't going I, I'm just going to put this out here. I'm just going to put this out here. He either stays in Cleveland or he retires. If he retires, I will buy you your next year's <laughs> supply of beer. You remember what you said? You know, when I first did a show with you, I like to... Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I like to drop bombs on things. You stirred it up. You stirred it up on that one. No chance I think. That. I think... What else does he have for us to do? If he wins. He's chasing six. He's going to keep playing until he gets close to that. He's going to get himself in a position this year to keep going to finals. He's chasing the six titles. Because right now, this was my point earlier. He's 33. In the grand he's 33. He plays basketball. better than he's ever played. He, he's 33. plays basketball like a linebacker, and he's been playing since he was 18. I, I'm not going to disagree in with the you. the NBA. But just like Brady, until he shows me he's aging, I'm not going to jump on this. How, okay, chance. let's jump on this real quick because I know we have to wrap this up. Brady, is this the year he starts to take a dip? I don't think so. I think so. I don't think so. Everybody think, thought that last year. I think so. I think this is a year they lost a lot it's, of guys on the team, and he'll take heat for the team dipping, but I think his numbers will be good. No, I think this is it's a terrible recipe for him. There's fucking division in the coaching staff, division on the team, people coming out and talking trash about Belichick. He has issues with Belichick. He has his own company that he's dealing with. He also lost a lot of guys. He's, what, 41 now? This would be the chance for him to be bad. But, I, again, he's one of those guys where I'm like, I'm going to need to see it before I'm going to jump in that boat. I'm remember, how, remember how Peyton Manning went from being – having also had a serious injury, though. Yeah, he also you know, stopped him. taking HGH. Remember – You know, he, he's just always – Here's the it. funny thing about it. Like, I was a Titans fan, and – Everyone I know is a Vols fan, and they're like college football, like growing up. Yeah, nobody cares about the NFL; they only care about college sure. football. In Tennessee, and yeah. Peyton Manning is the fucking saint. He's, a guy. He's, He's Jesus. A guy. Yeah. So when the Titans would play the Colts, a lot of people in Tennessee would root for the Colts. And I don't know if you remember this, but I believe it. When Peyton Manning left the Colts, and there was all this. Rumors that he was going to go somewhere, blah, blah, blah. Tennessee and Bud Adams made a big push to try and get Peyton Manning in Tennessee. Would have been a big, big ticket seller, I'll tell you that. I love Peyton Manning. Yeah. But. My wife's favorite player. I had such a hard time with him being a Colts guy and me really loving and rooting for, you know, Eddie George. Yeah. Steve McNair and Derek Mason and Frank Wycheck and that yeah. whole era of, of NFL, you know, of the Titans team. So. I don't 
like sometimes like my brother-in-law is just like Peyton Manning's the most amazing player and the greatest quarterback in NFL history and I'm kind of like eh I don't know and he's I not, he's not the greatest in NFL history but he's one of he's one of top no five I would put him in my top five in a heartbeat who are your top heartbeat. five who are your top five Brady okay Manning okay uh, for me Favre <laughs> Favre man Dude. Come on, what? I mean, this is a guy that... That guy beat your ass every year, and you're going to put him in? I love him. That's some serious fucking numbers, Stockholm Syndrome stuff, it, dude. It's not. His, his numbers speak for himself. His competitive edge speaks for itself. He brought back a Green Bay team that won shit, took him to two Super Bowls, and only lost to John Elway okay. in an upset. Okay. Uh, this is a guy that had the Vikings on the verge of the Super Bowl outside of a stupid interception at the end of the game when he's 40. This is a guy who is in my top five. Okay. Um, boy, I don't know. Outside of that, I'd have to really start digging because that's when it starts getting tough. Matt Stafford. Marino. Yeah. I know he never won one, but Marino's in my top five. Yeah. Marino's in my top five. And then rounding it out from there, I mean, we can have a fist fight for whoever wants to be the Joe Montana guy or whoever. I mean, Breeze? How do you leave Breeze out? I think you can easily leave Breeze out. Really? I think you go, yeah, this is my top five uh, in no particular order. Manning, Brady, for sure. I They have just. Manning and Brady are one, two for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Elway, Montana. Oh, Elway's in five. Yeah, Elway's yeah. my five. Elway yeah. and Montana. And then, I mean, I want to say Steve McNair. No, <laughs> That's no, not true. No. Uh, I would say. Uh, I mean, I think you could probably put, um, like, one of the old guys. I think, like, Terry Bradshaw. You know, he won four Super Bowls. Not a great quarterback, though. I can't put him in my top five. I mean, Marino. Marino. Yeah. I I think you put Marino in there. I mean, I think that's the Mount Rushmore of of football quarterbacks right there. Elway, Montana, Marino, Brady, Brady and and Manning. Manning. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron Rodgers had a chance to be on that list. Well, he still does. He ain't done. Yeah. He ain't done. He goes and wins a couple of Super Bowls. He'll be right up there. What the fuck happened to Andrew Luck? He he's, just fell apart. He's, he's got problems with that shoulder. They can't figure out. Yeah. I don't know, man. I know. I don't know. I will say this. You know, that one season, I'm a big, I got a Steve McNair jersey in my closet right now. That one season where Steve McNair didn't practice for like eight weeks. <laughs> And won the co-MVP with Peyton Manning. Yeah. Is just one of the most miraculous. It's great. It's great. I mean, there was so the thing about being a Titans fan at that time and watching Steve McNair play is you always kind of felt like, give him the ball. Let's just see what he can do. Yeah. He's going to get a horse collar tackled by a guy and shrug it off and either run 20 yards or throw the yards like 15, you know, throw the ball 15 yards and get a first down. Right. You know what I mean? You just always had faith that that guy was going to muscle it through and give everything he could on the field to get his team there. You yeah. know, he was a no, miracle he was player. He was great, man. And I think he's incredibly underrated. I would take Steve McNair over Dante Culpepper All day? or under Donovan McNabb All day? any day. Well, I think Steve McNabb's McNair should close. be I think Steve McNair should be in the Hall of Fame. McNabb's close. I mean, here's the thing everybody forgets about McNabb. The guy went to five or six straight NFC championship yeah, games. That's true. But you couldn't I mean? manage a two minute drill to save his life. No, but still. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's a guy who had a great career. I think he's a really underrated guy too. I think he is another, too. I think he that's is a whole too. Other conversation on that. Yeah. All right, here's uh, before we get out of here, I gotta tell you, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the sheet here. And on the show, we're doing a uh over under 
we're doing an over under challenge. I'm gonna okay. give you the sheet on the Vegas odds. You pick okay. you pick your over unders, tweet it to the show tomorrow, and I'll explain the rules on that to you. And then I got a little something for you here. And you're a Bulls fan there. Hey! Foldable koozie. Now I'm giving one to everybody who does the show of their team. And oh, when I wow. see out at the bar, that goes right in your back pocket. And we're always drinking cans of beers over at Borden and stuff. You put it on your beer. Okay. You have that with you next time I see you. And everybody sports your teams at the bar, man. Okay, I'm down. All right. Great. Hey, well, okay. Thanks for doing the show, brother. Yeah, thank right. you, man. Hey, see you next Had time. Had a blast. Great. That was long. Uh, it was. We're still figuring this thing out, man. You know what, though? Show's going to find itself, I guarantee you that. We'll figure out a way to get this thing a little shorter. But thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, stick with us now. Stick with us. It's DWMOD, and we'll catch you next time.